Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Extra Point Podcast. My name is Todd Stiles. Glad you've joined us today. This is Tuesday, July 25th, 2023. And the Extra Point Podcast is, as uh, you know by now, always about providing extra insight, additional observation, even further application to the text from which we preached the previous Sunday. And this week, we'll be doing that via some questions that came into our text line during the service. We did choose to answer some questions live in the service Sunday after looking at the first, oh, six or seven verses of Philippians 3. We had many more come in than we could address. And so beyond the one that I took in the service, let me address a couple today. In fact, we're going to take these questions, and I suspect more that will come in next week as we look at verses 7 through 11. Uh, We'll probably spend the next two or three weeks of the Extra Point podcast looking at the questions that have been sent in uh, from first familyers, both here in Guttenberg and Carlisle, our various campuses. And so we're going to be doing that. Hope that's a help to you. I know I really enjoy just providing some, at least some initial direction or insight in regard to some questions and helping us at least lean into the right uh, direction on some of these really thought-provoking and helpful uh, curiosities. So why don't we we get going here? We'll do question number one in regards to last week's text. The questioner asks this, Although salvation is not received by trying, isn't it shown genuine by trying? Uh, A good question that um, is asked here, and and it would help here to have a little background in case you're curious. We did look at really what genuine joyful salvation is and what it is not, and our basic take-home truth was that it is all about trusting Jesus and nothing about trying myself. We saw that, of course, from the first six verses of Philippians 3. And he's bringing in now, and this person uh, is bringing in really a, a, another topic when he asks, or really I think he makes a, a statement or he's kind of suggesting a premise that uh, something is shown genuine by trying. So salvation is shown or it's evidenced by fruit, or you could call the uh, fruit, good works, both are used in the Bible. Titus talks about good works. Paul mentions the word works in Philippians 2. Paul also uses that same concept um, um, and identifies it as fruit, even fruit of the Spirit. So this person simply saying, isn't genuine salvation shown by trying? And I think he's referring there to the topic of sanctification. In other words, isn't our salvation shown to be genuine and legitimate, authentic, uh, true, by how we begin then to pursue holiness or do good works or exhibit fruit? And yes, I agree with this premise in principle. I think where I struggle a bit is the word trying, because I would say that all of salvation and even all of sanctification is by the grace of God and is about trusting Jesus to do it. And yet I would agree that there is um, an effort in our sanctification. I often say this, the fact of our sanctification is settled, but the pace of it is um, in relation to our obedience and a willingness to hear the Lord and and submit. So there's a pace factor that is affected, um, and yet the fact of it is settled just as surely as our sal- salvation. 
God will, by His grace, sanctify His true children. So I appreciate the question, the premise, the the uh, statement in one sense that he's making, and yet I would warn us, I would caution us not to think that our sanctification can, in one sense, that, that God would, you know, somehow add more of who he is if we do something and garner favor or some kind of sanctifying merit. I don't think that is in play, but I do believe there is some legitimacy to the idea that when we're genuinely saved, then the fuel that's in us, the Holy Spirit, of course, the um, spiritual um, gas in our tank, so to speak, does produce in us spiritual disciplines, uh, good works. They're not artificially produced. They're genuinely produced. They're not manufactured. They're brought about by the Spirit of God. And so if using the word trying is what he's refer- is uh, him referring to the same thing as that, I, I can hear that well. I-, I think I would agree with that. I just want to be careful that we don't change gears from salvation to sanctification and think one's by grace and the other's by my effort, because truly both are by God's grace. And once we are saved by God's grace and trust Jesus for that, then we continue to trust God for the fuel, so to speak, the gas, the energy, the effort, the discipline to really pursue holiness. But we know that's not because of who we are or because of our strength or our own ability. It's because of the grace of God empowering us to actually uh, engage in those behaviors, in that obedience. And so we are drawing some fine lines here, admittedly. But I think it is about a mindset. It's uh, about a perspective Um, And so just be aware, it's probably the word trying that I'm probably resistant to inserting into any kind of equation about salvation or sanctification. I'd much rather say both are areas in which we trust God, and yet in sanctification, we trust God to provide for us and give us the um, power and the ability and the uh, sustenance to actually pursue obedience in such a way that fruit is then produced in us naturally instead of us working on our own strength to manufacture something artificially. Question number two today, this person asks, if someone responds positively to the gospel, why do we have apostates? And perhaps they're wondering, based on the text in Philippians 3, why there were infiltrators in the church who were trying to push the good works theory that you, and in this case, of course, that you have to be circumcised. Gentile believers need to be circumcised to be in the family of God. Like, how did they get there in the first place if they at one point said they were genuine believers? It's a good question. Um, I would make a couple of uh, suggesting uh, starting points for why there are apostates. First of all, people can pretend. It is um, um, a possibility. Uh, our human nature often tempts us um, to take hold of something for ulterior motives. And we think we're getting out of a bad situation, or we think we may can leverage it for our own profit. And sometimes people then can pretend to buy into something, to believe something, to participate in something, and they really don't. They're just using it for their own means. There's a story in the book of Acts, I believe, where someone saw Paul's Holy Spirit power 
and then wanted that same power, but for other reasons uh, than God's reasons. And so he wanted to buy it, then he wanted to use it to make money, and and Paul said that was wicked. And so that does exist. People can pretend for a time to, quote-unquote, buy into Christianity, to believe, but they're probably working an angle, and it's not revealed immediately, uh, but eventually. And so we have to admit to ourselves that sometimes apostates are those who only pretended at the beginning. But behind that is probably a second reason, that is that the devil does deceive. And this may be what's happening even in the beginning when he deceives people into even um, and tempting them, enticing them to pretend, thinking they can get something in the end, when really it will just be shown that they don't really belong after all. The devil deceives people. The, he uh, masquerades, the Bible says, as an angel of light. So often he will twist or sabotage the gospel. He'll take God's word and just change it a bit to where someone will believe something that is really close to the truth, but not quite the truth. This happened in the garden where he changed God's words and Eve was deceived as well as Adam. I'd remind you that twice at least in the New Testament, probably other places, but I'm thinking of two right now where we know that there are those who seem to take hold of the gospel message in some fashion, but they're really not accepting it fully and truthfully, authentically, and for whatever reason, they um, it's exposed in time that they weren't genuine believers. Matthew 13 talks about the four types of soil, that they all receive the seed, but in the end, only one type of soil bears fruit. I'm of the opinion that that fourth soil, the one that bore fruit, is the only one that was genuinely saved, because I believe God's Word always bring forth, brings forth what it sets out to bring forth. It will accomplish its purpose. That's what Isaiah tells us. And so I believe the other three soils did receive the word to some extent, but not uh, authentically, not genuinely. And over time, it was choked out by the deceiver, by the devil, or by tribulations, or it was snatched away by the birds. Those are there's multiple images there used to describe how sometimes at the beginning, people can pretend that they're in but it's really just the devil deceiving them to act a certain way, and then when things get difficult or over time, they actually reveal that they never really did believe after all. And there's also the parable of the wheat and the tares. And here's what I find so interesting, that when the disciples were really concerned that there was a field with both wheat and tares, or we could call it wheat and weeds, there was the real thing and then there was the imposter, they wanted to pick out all the weeds. They wanted to get the tares and be done with them. And Jesus said, let them grow together and that in the end, he will judge them. In other, in other words, it's his job to, in the end, sort out what he describes later in the judgment as the sheep and the goats. You could use the phrase weed and the tares. And so there are apostates. Uh, there are those who we think are in the church. They think they're in the church, but for uh, God knows they're actually not, and often it's tempting for us to try to be the judge in the here and now, and, and we're told in Scripture that's God's role, so let's be clear in our truth, let's call people to repentance, let's not apologize for the gospel, let's be succinct and accurate in our teaching, and just know that even in those moments there are those who um, may pretend, perhaps even unknowingly at times, and not really understand or, or maybe be trying to work an angle or use it for their own means. 
and they're not really born again. Uh, there are those who intentionally try to deceive others because it is a profitable uh, bottom line. Those are called false teachers. Peter describes them as greedy and lustful. Those things exist both outside the church and inside the church. I'd remind you also, Paul warned the Ephesian elders that from their own number, some would arise and really expose themselves to be wolves. And so this is a reality within the church that um, some pretend to be what they're not. They are being deceived by the devil. And that's why we must be ever vigilant as shepherds to feed you well, to feed you God's word, and to provide the right kind of protection from those who really want to do you harm. And now our last question for the day, question number three. This person writes in, with old friends who are lifelong believers of the good enough theory, do you have any tips for how to steer the small talk into the discussion of eternity? And again, some background might be helpful. Uh, we did talk a little bit about um, the good enough theory or the, the good works theory. It's really the basis of, the, uh, verses, of verse 2 in Philippians 3. That's all that really is in the first century. It's just you've got to do a work. If you can do the right work or enough of the good works, then you'll get in. We talked about that theory. I referred to it as the good enough theory. I hopefully exposed it through three questions, and this person's asking, are there some other tips for how to talk about that with friends you have who may actually believe that? And here's what I would say. i just give you one tip. I'm sure there's a lot of other books that would have much better advice, people who would have better tips. But here's one that I have found personally helpful, and I'm even using it even uh, this week um, uh, with a friend that I know is in this um, vein of thinking, and we're set to have a coffee, uh, kind of a coffee call together about, you know, their faith journey, and I'm hoping to be able to do this very thing. Here's the tip. I would say use questions uh, that gently force the fallacy or fallacies of the good enough theory to surface. All right? Does that make sense? In other words, questions that you can ask them in a gentle, polite way, but yet are pointed enough that they may expose the fallacy or fallacies of the good works work theory. And you have to think through your situation, the person you're talking to, your relationship with them, how deep it is, how long you've known them. All those are factors. But I do think that questions are very helpful if asked the right, right way because they force someone to begin to try to figure out an inconsistency. And I do believe that everyone has to wrestle with inconsistencies. Now, that's not saying that it, an apparent inconsistency can't be answered. Uh, and you can pick your system or pick your issue. I think uh, we get inconsistencies pointed out to us that they that people think are inconsistencies, and they're really not. There's an answer for them. But on the surface, it's a, it seems like there's one. We get asked those a lot about Christianity. And I'm just saying that that same tactic is helpful when you're talking to someone who believes that, you know, good people who do good things go to heaven. Just begin to ask in a gentle way the kind of questions that would help the fallacies surface. And I think three of the fallacies are, you know, why is it that what's good seems to change over time? How can that be trustworthy? Or uh, the idea of good and the, and the standard, the line of what's good, seems to be different 
from place to place? How can that be, um, you know, trusted? And then even the, the the biggest question, like who is the line setter? These are the three things I talked about Sunday. Who's the man behind the curtain, so to speak, that that says this is what's good and this is what's not good? I think those are three general questions you can ask specifically and gently uh, to someone you're talking to, and then let them answer. Talk to them. Engage with them and hear what they're saying. And I think as the fallacy is exposed, it will leave you an open door to share the good news of the gospel, which is timeless and uh, truthful, and it is the answer to our eternal dilemma and our number one problem. So there's just three questions. We've got some more to answer next week. I hope this um, episode's been at least generally helpful to steer us in the right direction as we think through some questions regarding Philippians 3, 1 to 6. Feel free to um, uh, text in other questions if you have them. You can find that number, of course, um, I think on our website, either on our printed material, of course, in the service. But we'll tackle some more next week, and I'll talk to you then. And we once again have another episode of the Extra Point Podcast.